Hey, it's Swedenborg Live. I'm excited that you're here. And I got good news. We have a really good panel here to take the time to talk about whatever you want to talk about. So without further ado, who's here? What do you, who are you? And what are we going to do? Hi, I'm Karin Childs, Community Care Manager and writer for Off the Left Eye. Thank you for coming. So happy to have you here. Yeah, and I'm Chelsea Odner, a writer for Off the Left Eye, and so happy to be here too. And I'm Cara Dahm, Latin consultant and community care team member. Happy to be here this Friday. Okay, so there's being here, but are we really here in spirit until we're thinking about, you know, that there's this whole other side of life that doesn't necessarily pop up when you're going through the very necessary but habitual stuff we've got to do to be alive on earth. So let's take a moment to just remember what, what's out there. And I'd like to do that by bringing in a little Swedenborg quote every week to start us off. This is from New Jerusalem 2.12. In the spiritual meaning, the Lord's body or flesh, like the bread, is the goodness of love. And the Lord's blood, like the wine, is the goodness of faith. So yes, we're talking about Holy Communion, Holy Supper, that ritual, that blood and and flesh-based ritual. What does it mean? The goodness of faith while eating is our making these kinds of goodness our own and becoming joined to the Lord by them. This is how the angels who are with us when we are taking the Holy Supper understand it because they perceive everything spiritually. So a couple of centering concepts from that. There are angels. There are angels around us. There's a way to take things spiritually and we can connect to the Lord both through what's going on here and through uh, you know rituals that remind us of that but they are just that this reminder hey we have our own little ritual which is that we take your questions and uh, answer them so get them in the chat right now we'll be answering for an hour but you all have the chance to make it actually longer than an hour so we're a not-for-profit and the only way we can do what we do is from all of your generous contributions so in honor of the quote we just read if we can raise $212 during this hour, we'll go an extra 15 minutes, answer even more of your questions. So go to offtheleftdie.com slash donate, and you can help make our programming possible and help make it so that the next person who might be interested in what they found, obviously you're interested in something you found here, the next person gets to, to discover it and hopefully have their lives changed by it. And we get a lot of people writing in saying that it happened. So offtheleftdie.com slash donate, you can make it happen. Okay. Let's hear what was on everyone's minds this week. As always, we have our reflection question. This time it was, what is a message or idea that you have felt spiritually fed by? What's useful to people? Uh, Karen, what did they say? Here are some of the responses that came in about concepts that feel nourishing, spiritually nourishing to people. So here we go. Uh, during meditation, I got the message Self-discipline is self-love. I love that. <laughs> That's great. Just the phrase being honest brings me closer to God, but it comes to mind even for small day-to-day -day things. That's great. There is no love but the love of God. It's more of a challenge to understand than being spiritually fed by it. When we love, an, when we love another, we are giving what we've received from God. Yes. Don't judge, forgive, send light and love because every soul is on its own spiritual journey is where it is and we can never know what it is. Appearances are not a literal representation of their point in evolution. All we can look at 
is our own journey. Yes. Parables are my way of conveying the Lord's spiritual meanings or messages to non-believers in understandable and practical terms. Yeah, parables are so good for that. Unconditional love of self, the pathway to enlightenment. Yes. Your recent episode on thoughts and truth and Swedenborg's message, quote, one is not to think about truth that comes from anywhere but the Lord, unquote. This message nourishes my spirit every time I apply it. That is such a good one. We told you that sometimes we were being helpful (laughs) for the concepts we're putting forward that really we're poaching off Swedenborg who poached them off the Lord. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Learning from Swedenborg and off the left eye that you love God the most when you love the things God loves. It changed my perspective and understanding completely and continues to nourish me now in all my relationships and choices. Yeah. Sharing what you care about with the Lord. Truth isn't true unless married to love. Yeah, so important. The parable of the faithful servant is my favorite. I love how the idea of faithfulness is presented in the story. Never be afraid to share. We all have something to contribute. Don't hold back, live fully. Our lives and actions are accounted for and so much more. Ah, so great. My grandfather told me, no matter how alone you feel, you ain't. No matter how ugly, stupid, foolish you feel, you still ain't alone. God's with you always. So best remember that and do the right thing. No shortcuts and no being an a-hole to anyone ever. He's watching. (laughs) He's watching and knows. So that was the quote from his grandfather. So yeah, I do my best to straighten up and fly right, even when it's easier to say or do cruel, unkind things. (laughs) So that's wisdom from grandpa. Uh, Swedenborg, of course, (laughs) that's great. That God is all about giving and receiving love. He does it through us and the flow is always available for us to step into. Yeah, so wonderful. Often being drawn into the mundane of life, it is anything that reminds me of the spiritual world, that I am never alone or unseen, and that God and the angels are always with me, waiting patiently with comfort and wisdom for my circumstances. Yeah, so beautiful. And finally, the idea that true wealth is everlasting bliss for everyone treasures in heaven, I would say. (laughs) That is so great. Thank you so much for sharing that, everyone. Awesome. Totally. Well, thank you for being willing to, you know, show us what's going on in your heart and mind and expose us to a bunch of great concepts just through listening through that. Really appreciate it, everybody. Okay, let's get going. It's time for our questions. Why don't we just start out with one that I feel like, I don't know what we're going to say to this. I don't know how we're going to tackle this. That's what we're doing. That's what we do. This is Colin Vickers who asks, I seem to recall Swedenborg. There's got to be some term we come up with that where like, doesn't Swedenborg say somewhere? Because when you're around Swedenborg for any amount of time, you're like, wait, doesn't he say somewhere? I seem to recall Swedenborg in his diary of spiritual experiences expressing gratitude for so-called fallen women. Can you explain what he means and how it pertains to the human spiritual condition in general? I don't know if I know, like, I'm not sure if I know what, what Colin is referring to, but do you guys? Yeah, Carmen. I think I do. I think I remember a, a spiritual diary 
entry in which Swedenborg was noticing that, I, I think if I'm remembering what it was about, um, it was about, uh, the general idea is God uses everybody to find the ways to flow to people. And this had to do with um, uh, the feelings of pleasure in in sexuality, you know, just being able to feel <laughs> enjoy, oh. enjoyment in sex. And there was some situation he was see, seeing in which that was coming through prostitutes, I think he was saying, <laughs> um, and reaching and, you know, like God was using that to bring something good down. And in, in spiritual diary form, it's sort of a little vague and you're not sure exactly what he's saying, but that is what I remember. And, and I think, um, I think what, it, one thing that it's, um, reminding me of a, of a more general thing is that we, we can't, uh, like pleasure is food. Talk about spiritual nourish, nourishment. And, um, we have to have some way to feel pleasure. And then we're, through life, we are uh, led into higher and higher forms of pleasure, but, um, we can't live without <laughs> pleasure. And so it's not that, um, you know, promiscuity is a, is a healthy thing, but the, I think just the general idea is that God will do whatever is possible through whatever circumstances are there to bring, um, to bring things to earth. And I, yeah, I think I'll, I'll end by saying, I think the point in that, um, was, uh, it might be hard for us on earth to even feel pleasure in sex at all without some channel for it to come through. And that was one of the many ways <laughs> God was uh, allowing it to come through. So Man, so I feel like Karen's mind, particularly for spiritual experiences numbers is just this yes. like steel trap. Because now I remember that. I, I remember that number, but I never would have been able to pick it out of my mind. But you're like, oh, yeah, I've got that. And if if I remember, if my like recently jogged memory is correct, yeah, then Swedenborg was feeling some despair about this particular group of people. Like, how are they going to participate in heavenly joy? Because they had they were in some ways like outside of the order of that. But then, he, yeah, it's vague, but there's there's work around that you described. But yeah, the, what's the point he's making is this is so great. I was worried they weren't going to be able to click in somehow, and now they are. Um, so that, to me, that says about that pertains to the human spiritual condition in general. I just think about all the stuff in your life that you're like, well, how is this going to fit in to a happy trajectory for me? How is this building something? And it just that, that nope, God's got, God is leading every single part of us and every single person to fitting us into heaven and happiness and the divine design. That's what God's business is. So, so I can't believe that you remember that number. That's great. Yeah. Being able to use everything, you know, that is to, to make things work basically. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. Great. Okay. Well, thank you, Karen. And thank you, Colin. Let's go on. Let's do it. Hey, let's do the next one. And don't forget, if you just tuned in, offtoleftdie.com slash donate. If we reach $212 over the course of this hour from your donations, we are going to go an extra 15 minutes. And stay tuned. In the middle of this show, we are going to give you something because we're doing our donor raffle. So that's worth the price of admission. Gabriel asks... I don't get the difference between your spirit and your soul. 
what's the difference and what does each one do for you? Uh, I forget. I forget. I feel like I've learned this several times. Cara, what do you think? <laughs> well, I'm going to start out with a disappointing thing to say. Which... <laughs> yes, let's start with disappointment. Um, I feel like I just read somewhere and because I just read it, it might have been in that little booklet about when tragedy strikes, which is out of divine providence, but I'm not sure about that. But I just read somewhere where Swedenborg is using them synonymously, where he just says something, something, something about the soul, which is the spirit. So he says the same thing, but uh, some translators in the world have have labeled Swedenborg as not a terminologist, but a contextualist, meaning his terms don't necessarily sit still. And so he, uh, the context for how he's using various terms changes in various books or in various experiences. And so you always gotta be on your toes about how is he using that word this time? So, um, so that's something to just be aware. It's not, it's not just a straightforward answer necessarily. In my own self, and I don't, I'm not quite sure how grounded in Swedenborg this is, I kind of feel like the soul is that seat of God that everyone has, you know, it's the reason we're alive and that our spirit is more like our own uh, flavor of that, um, that we develop through our choices and things like that. Um, so one of you guys can tell me if I'm online there or not. I mean, you know, in line. <laughs> Sounds cool. I'll just say that that's, that is how I think of it. And I, I know there's at least one number. I totally agree. It's it, Swedenborg doesn't uh, always use those words the same way, but I do remember one number at least in which it was pretty distinct that the soul was this un, uncorruptible part of people that is the seat of God, like you said, Kara, um, where life flows in. And then the spirit is more the, the mind that you build that becomes um, that through your own choices. Um, and like you say, the flavor you put, <laughs> you build around that spark of God. When, when was anyone going to tell me about that terminologist versus contextualist thing? Because that's awesome. Yeah, that okay. was mind-blowing for me too like it just yeah. it fits into my experience of reading Swedenborg oh well I'm yeah I'm going to deploy those glasses next time I read Chelsea what do you think yeah just a similar thing uh he the term the inner self is something Swedenborg will use and that just I that similarly is a contextual based term um and uh I know because it struck me whenever I read it and I wrote it down, but like, you know, Swedenborg says in at least one place, he says, the inner self is the Lord. So it's like, what, you know, hang on a second. Cause it's such a core part of his theology that our self is this finite thing that receives life from the Lord. And we have an outer self and an inner self. But then if the inner self is the Lord, how does that, you know, compute? But um, I kind of feel like it, aligns a little bit with this spirit soul thing that element of like the soul I think would be sort of that inner self that is the Lord you could say maybe or draw some parallel and then the spirit is just another way to talk about us our cognitive you know sense of ourselves um something like that awesome yeah wow there's this okay we could shall I all right I'll just say two quick things one of them is I wonder if part of why he's so contextualist is that he's always 
redefining these terms that already have a common use. So spirit and soul are already all over in the Christian world and people had their own meanings attached to them. He's coming in and saying, well, there's this whole metaphysical backstory that nobody really at all is tuned into. So I'm going to give you these new definitions for this, but sometimes I'm just kind of using them in the way you guys use them, because I know that that'll make you understand them. You know, so, so that, I mean, that, that makes me wonder about that. Um, And then that made me forget what the other one was. So maybe that's a good time for us to, to hang it up there, um, and and let's uh, and, and let's move to the next one. Um, oh no, Mika Mika Bishop asks: Is there a correlation between what one can perceive spiritually on a personal level with the reactions felt by those in the spiritual world to bring about a real restoration there and on Earth? Okay, I got to read it again. Mm-hmm. Is there a correlation between what one can perceive spiritually on a personal level? with the reactions felt by those in the spiritual world to bring about a real restoration there and on earth. So can, how I read that is if I'm happy, something's going on with me spiritually, does that correlate or even interact with what's going on up top and can that do something positive or so if that's your reading or anything close, what what does anyone uh, think about that? Karen, do you want to lead us off? Yeah. What I, I, I'm seeing in that question is um, uh, the the asker, I think it might be John Bishop, <laughs> just from knowing it, but John and or Miko. Um, uh, it, when we are becoming more aware that um, we are affecting people in the spiritual world and they are affecting us. So um, if we're getting more aware of that, you know, on a personal level, on our day-to-day uh, in our day-to-day lives, um, what can we do with that, you know, to bring, uh, to help us on earth and them in the afterlife? And I think that's a fascinating question because I think that we, um, you know, need to be aware that we are on a path of spiritual growth. Um, But also we, well, we know that people we are in connection with on earth, we're all affecting each other's journeys you know, we, we affect each other and we inspire each other or (laughs) hurt each other or whatever, you know, like we are interacting all the time and our journeys are not isolated things. And this is another level of that, that um, we are also constantly um, walking this journey in connection with all these journeys going on in the spiritual world. And um, in the world of spirits, there's lots of spirits we're connected with that are that are still working through um, their their th- stuff <laughs> on a path to heaven, or some might be, you know, on a on a darker path, and they're they're trying to affect us. Um, and so I think uh, the question is saying to me, knowing that, what can we be doing to help with to get everything better? And I think really it all comes down to the same basic thing, which is um, work on your your. Um, relationship with God, because that encompasses it all. So if you are working on your relationship with God, which just means turning, turning away from negativity, harmful things in your actions, in your, in your thoughts, in your feelings, um, then the Lord can fill you with, um, the good, you know, like like increase your ability to love others and increase your understanding of truth. And so if you're doing that, um, you are having an effect on people in the spiritual world. And I would say that 
when you are choosing um, positive thoughts over negative thoughts or positive feelings over negative feelings, you are affecting the spirits around you because you're strengthening the connection with the good paths and supporting each other in that. And when you're rejecting the negative, you are not feeding something harmful that some spirit might be trying to stir up. And that's actually helping that spirit too, because when you don't feed the negative, it can't get stronger and more, uh, you know, more in trouble for itself and others. So there are some thoughts to start us off. Oh, great, great thought. I think we got ourselves a really good start here. Before we get to any more thoughts, I wanna say thanks to John. John made a donation. We're on the board. We're more than a, whoa. Thank you. We have another, we have another donation from Tim. So now we're up to 50. We are like almost a quarter of the way to our goal. Uh, we are just a little behind on time, but we're ahead in, in heart. Uh, so thank you to both of you for, for helping to make our programming possible. Great. Okay. Um, I remembered the thing I was going to say about the last question. <laughs> I mean, the suspense, right? Okay. So I'll just go into it right now. There, it's, it's quick. There's uh, Dr. Jonathan Rose, been on many of our shows, right? And is a beloved member of the community. I remember he once had a hilarious quote, which was that Swedenborg knew the Bible so well that he could misquote it from memory. <laughs> and, and the point that he was making there, which I think translators run into, is that Swedenborg seems at times like pretty unconcerned with getting everything about how he quotes the Bible right. Like he will say, it says this, but it's kind of a mush together of it. And it's from like verses one, two and 75 to 90. Like it's a huge <laughs> range. Is that his contextualist spirit shining through that he says, I'm not worried about this. This you, We are not going to get to the truth of this by thinking we can take these details and create this rigid, perfect understanding in our mind. These are concepts that are living complex concepts that you have to, you have to get. And so I'm not spending my time there. Uh, anyway, that, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Okay. Um, so the, then as far as, um, does anyone, Chelsea, did you have thoughts on this one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was thinking, what was coming to mind from what Karen was saying was how um, I think definitely, and sort of the principle that's at play behind all that for me in this is like, I was just reading about how the Lord uh, provides the means of salvation everywhere. And Swedenborg spells out what those means are. And the means of salvation is just to know what evil is and to shun it and then to do good. Cause you know, it's what's good. So just like a working knowledge of like, what's going to hurt other people and the knowledge to not do that is the means of salvation, plain and simple. Like it doesn't get more complicated than that. And uh, and so for us as these little life receivers, these little uh, receptors and vessels of the Lord's life, what we do with our life, uh, our little finite pivot point, if you will, like if we choose to shun evil, then what that does is it opens us up to the Lord. And then when we open up to the Lord, then the Lord gets to guide us in in accomplishing the Lord's will, which is that restoration, you know, like that's like what the Lord's business as sweet as a Swedenborg also known as Curtis was saying. <laughs> <laughs> I can misquote Swedenborg just like he can <laughs> Listen, 
anything anyone has said can be attributed to Swedenborg. <laughs> so, cool. Uh, the, 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 yeah. That's a great way to think about it. Uh, I, I, I like that. Um, a quick, quick note I want to tack on the end when he's talking about the, the correlation between what's going on personally and those in the spiritual world is when he talks about uh, when we read the Bible, the impact it has on angels mm -hmm. so that we, we will, even if we're not getting a ton out of it, the act of, of us reading the Bible can have a huge impact on this, the experience and ability of angels to perceive things too. So that, that might fit in there as well. A little, little ta tangential, but, but worth noting. Um, okay, cool. Thanks everybody. Let's do another one. This is from Juan Orozco, who asks, does Swedenborg mention any apocryphal or non-biblical texts as God inspired? Is there, in the second part, is there any truth in the stories of Jesus speaking as a baby in the Quran or Jesus killing and then resurrecting another child? I never heard of that. But, um, okay, so two questions. You know, is God in anything except the Bible? And did he ever talk about Jesus's ch childhood? Kara. Um, I'm thinking of a place where Swedenborg talks about that the Bible was written in this correspondential way, just the same way that many ancient scripts and scriptures were written. So in some ways that he, he, cor he correlates the style that they were written in. But then he, on the other hand, he has, um, you know, like the ancient myths and stuff that we sometimes talked about. But then on the other hand, he has a very specific take on which books of the Bible are considered like holy throughout because they have a continuous spiritual meaning that has to do with our own um, spiritual development of in the individual. I don't know that he mentions any apocryphal. Now, I'm not that familiar with the apocryphal books, um, I, but I don't think he mentions any. He mentions a few titles of books from the ancient word. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm not thinking of apocryphal or non-biblical texts that have this continuous inner meaning. Truth comes from God. Right. So anything out there that's holding the truth is God inspired in some way. And there's lots of truth in this world that is coming through all different sources. But uh, so that addresses a little bit the first question. For sure. And that, that just reminds me of when he talks about the the laws analogous to the Ten Commandments being present in all religions and, and references that as uh, an important way in which God is reaching everybody. Yeah, other thoughts, Karen? Um, the only thing I'm aware of, of Swedenborg mentioning something that made me, uh, makes us know he knew of the apocryphal books is that he mentions the angel Raphael. That is not, that angel is not mentioned in there are current Protestant Bibles. So that's in one of the uh, apocryphal books that was taken out by the Protestant <laughs> Reformation. Um, yeah, as Cara was saying, uh, it's, it's, uh, all these uh, sacred texts can have origins back to, um, to more ancient knowledge. Um, I think that there would be a mixture of 
things that are more true and less true. And uh, one main thing about scriptures is uh, just they are here to create vehicles through which God could speak to people's hearts. But of course, that speaking has to be based in love of God, love of the neighbor. So if somebody's getting a very negative, harmful uh, message through scripture, then they're not um, they're not <laughs> getting the right message. They're not queuing into the truth in there. Um, I um, about the Quran. I just um, I just know Swedenborg talks about Islam in general as being um, coming about in God's providence because it was suited to peoples of the Middle Eastern world, um, and it it would just was a, a form and a, a scripture that would work well. It's interesting to me that um, knowing. Uh, I know of a, a couple of um, people who would call themselves Swedenborgian Muslims who um, point to, I think there's branches of Islam that recognize that the Quran, you have to not take it literally. It's There's this symbolic language. And similarly to like how we would look at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens um, as all those battles and everything, they're really about battles that go on inside us, that there are, are branches of Islam that see those same stories that can be very violent in the Quran is actually being talked about inner battles and, and it's things of the spirit. Um, so uh, yeah, it's kind of like, as Cara was saying, um, according to Swedenborg, God preserved a, a certain uh, books of the Bible that would contain this continuous inner story that that uh, is very complete. It's about the human regeneration process and the Lord and the glorification process of Jesus. And there's a special power in that. And there's definitely truth in other books. Um, it's just a little bit different form. And so I would say, I think I have read that story of, of the child Jesus killing and then resurrecting another child. It, I think that's one of the apocryphal books and it didn't ring true to me. <laughs> like it just didn't fit what, um, you know, what uh, I am getting from Jesus himself as described in the gospels and what Swedenborg describes as the inner life of Jesus that's told in the, um, in the old Testament. Um, I, I have never heard of the one of Jesus speaking as a baby in the Quran so, um, yeah, it, it just like doesn't make there whether something is true um, in all these different scriptures uh, to say measure it against. Um, yeah, just the feeling of what kind of uh, picture of life and of God is it presenting? Does that make sense to the heart? Does it go along with just the very basics that are in every religion, which are about love God, love the neighbor? Is it uh, resonate with the idea of a God is love? Um, uh, God is wanting to help everybody. Uh, you know, it's just sort of these basics, the golden rule. Um, I would say measure things against that and to kind of feel out uh, the level of truth. But also always always consider uh, the concept of correspondences because that exists in other scriptures besides um, the Bible. Excellent. Thank yeah. Thank you for that. that broad picture, which is one of the things I love about Swedenborg's picture of where did everything come from? Yeah, there's there's something really intensely powerful in the correspondences inside the Bible, but correspondences are present in a lot of things, you know, hieroglyphics, hieroglyphs, on and on and on. So cool. Thanks, everyone. Um,
Oh, Chelsea, did you have a, a thought before we move on from that? Uh, yeah, it was just it was just bringing to mind how Swedenborg says even of the word itself, the Bible. That and I think this is what Karin was basically getting at too. But that the the word, the literal sense, anyway, is dead. Like there's no life in it. It's that the Lord brings it to life in us when we read it with a mind towards what is loving. What Swedenborg says, like he'll say a faith born of neighborly love. Like that's what you need to bring any text alive. So I think there's kind of that latent truth out there, but it's just like the truth is just in service to like, how can I use this to help me love other people? And um, so I think like Karin was saying, you can apply that to any, any text you interface with. Yeah. That it's almost contextual rather than I forget what the other one was. Okay. Yeah. What's that? Terminologist, a terminal. Rather than terminological. Hey, guess what, everybody? It's time to raffle. This is the time of the month where we give back to everyone who's contributed. To, no, not to everyone, to very lucky people from the group, but everyone who contributed had a chance, but not all of you were, but some of you were that lucky this time. Okay. <clears throat> Todd in here. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to be giving away prizes and the prizes are these amazing packs of greeting cards with Swedenborg and off the left eye themed inspiration in them. And what we're going to do is everyone who's won in our three different categories will get a, a pack of these custom cards and it will change their life for the better. It's really a token of our thanks uh, to everyone. So in the, there's three groups, the new donor group, the all donor group, and the monthly recurring donor group. So theoretically, one person could win them all if they just started giving and they were giving on a monthly basis. But this time we have three different winners for the new donor group. It's Christine Pitliongus. Pitliongus, thank you so much, Christine, for, for joining us and, and feeling like you want to contribute. It's great to have you here. Yeah, I hope you enjoy the cards. For the all donor group, Todd Robinson. Thank you, Todd, for being a donor to, to what we're doing and helping us do it. And then for the monthly recurring donor group, John Baker is the winner there. So thank you, John, for becoming a sustaining member of what we're doing. Hey, um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Hi. Hope you enjoy the cards. And so just so you know, yeah, whenever you donate, if it's your first time you're in a group, if it's if you're doing any donation, you're in a group, if you sign up for the monthly thing, you're in a group. So someday, hopefully you'll you'll take home a prize. And Alan, thank you, Alan. Alan just gave and put himself into the, the running for next month's raffle. So we're up to 75. It is a little over halfway through the hour. If we can get to 212, we will do an extra 15 minutes. You decide. Go to offtoleftdie.com slash donate. It's all fun and games, but really what, what this is doing is making it possible for our, our nonprofit selves to keep doing this work. Okay, next question. This is from San Ken. Even though we pray and try to follow God's principles, why are there times when we feel distant from God? Could God not show us signs of presence? I think that's something that everyone resonates with yeah it would be really nice so so what's going on with that Cara yeah you want to lead us off yeah I I just have to tell a little story from our friend Jonathan the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Rose uh, he used to have a Bible study and he did 
uh, a whole a whole episode once about this concept that the presence of God is so powerful that we would just, as he said, face plant <laughs> if God came anywhere near us. It's like we we cannot sustain the, the actual presence of God. Um, so that there, there's all, Swedenborg talks about these levels of uh, the sort of veils and atmospheres between God and us because it would just burn us up like the sun would burn us up in the physical world. Um, so I really sympathize with not being able to feel the presence of God. I'm kind of a thick veil girl myself. Um, but uh, so for me, it is a lot of uh, thinking about it. Like it's, I, it's something I believe and it doesn't always come down into some kind of emotional experience for me. Um, if we're looking, we could see, we could choose to see God in the fact that it's a beautiful day and the sun is shining and I love my family or, you know, any number of blessings that are in our lives. So that's a terrible answer. How about somebody else? <laughs> no, but it's the truth. I mean, like <laughs> that is the human condition, right? So uh, thank you so much, Cara, for opening that up. Karen, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, Cara, I agree that a, a lot of it comes down to learning to recognize the different ways that God is present. Because if we have a, a one idea of how God would be present and we're not seeing that particular way, then we're missing something, you know, some other way that God is present. And it's that presence is ever changing in our lives because we are ever changing. If you uh, go to our show, why is God so angry in the Bible? <laughs> um, it's showing you that the stories of the Bible of a fluctuating sort of uh, way that God seems in the Bible is the story of our state's change. And so we have different perceptions of, of God because our own uh, states of mind and heart are changing. Um, but I want to um, emphasize that these fluctuations are normal and actually necessary. And if you think about a just a relationship with another person, I've uh, just recently passed my 39th wedding anniversary. So I've been in a All right with my husband for 39 years and relationships um, in order to keep getting deeper, you have to go through times where, you know, if you, st you start out, it's all, yeah, lovey dovey, but it's, um, it's, it's surface. It can't not be kind of surface when you start out because you, there's so much to know about every person <laughs> and so much to develop within yourself that uh, there has to be a lot that happens in order that you get closer. And so um, at times in a marriage or a friendship or whatever kind of relationship, those times where you start to feel distant or, or something's between you, um, that is a call that you, you are forced to pay attention to something and bring something up and, and deal with something and, and um, you know, bring, bring it up. And when you, uh, go through that and, and get some things clarified and make some changes, uh, you're closer than you were before. And, you know, I've experienced that so many times and that's the way it is with God, that if we didn't have those times where God felt distant, we wouldn't be, um, we wouldn't be making any changes in ourselves. Um, and 
so it's, it's necessary to go through these fluctuations of feeling distant and feeling close. And Jesus went through that. Swedenborg learned that in the times in the New Testament where Jesus is talking about that he and his father are one, he was feeling the presence of his divine soul and his ide- divine ide- identity. And at the times when he was feeling distant, he would talk about the father as a separate person. So Jesus went through it too, these fluctuations in which he sometimes felt close to that divinity and sometimes very far away. And those fluctuations were a really important part of his spiritual development and his ability to open up more and more to that divine presence. And it's the same with us. Um, if, if you can recognize those times when you feel distant as the times, and also, also think about if you're in a, a marriage or a friendship or something, um, it's, it's easy to stay in, that, in a relationship when it's easy. But if you can stay in it when it's hard, it's getting bonded more strongly. And so if you, you know, your friend or your spouse or whoever, you went through hard times and you stayed together, your relationship is much stronger than if it had just been easy all the time. It's deeper and stronger. Same with God. It's easy to have faith and believe in God and and feel close to God when things are going easily or you feel it strongly. But what about those times where you're not? feeling it strongly. Can you, um, can you hang in there? Can you um, have the ways to still trust that God is there with you and during that and, and learn to understand the ways, how, how is God with me during the hard times as well as the easy times? So really important work is going on. And I'd say, just keep on praying, tell the Lord about it, that I'm feeling so distant from you. This hurts, you know, just Talk to the Lord about it and and trust that good things are happening during it and during it. And God is that strength within you, just trying to hang, help you hang in there during that valley. And then you'll come up. So it's really important, these fluctuations. Yeah, well, that's a great reminder. Um, so thank you for that. And I want to go to Chelsea. But first, I want to say thanks to Ruth. Thank you, Ruth. Yay. Thanks to Stephanie. So we're up to $150, which means it's probably going to be a photo finish here because we got to get to 212 and we have 18 minutes to do it in. So will we make it to the extra 15? Won't we? Does it, is it that, does it matter that much? Who knows? Okay. Um, so yeah. So thank you, Cara and Karen for, for opening that wide, wide. And uh, Chelsea, I'd love to hear what that's stirring in you. Yeah. Just a, a little, postscript on what Karen was saying and what Kara said, where um, I was really struck with when Swedenborg writes about those two states that the Lord goes through. Um, one way it's termed that emptying out is, is progress toward union. And I'm not sure if Karen used that exact phrase, but so phrase, but there's like, really, there's just those two alternatives. There's either union or progress toward union. There's no backtracking three steps back. There's, there is no kind of valleys that aren't actually a valley higher up in altitude than the one you were last time so to speak if you're going up a mountain so um so I feel like that's that's been reassuring to me in my life to know like well there's union and then there's progress toward union and and the progress toward union is that distant feeling when we can feel like we're backtracking and we're alone or things or doubting everything but that that really is being used for good like Karin so eloquently explained I love that analogy of the the valleys and ascending the mountain because even could be that at the beginning of a journey 
you there's a route up the mountain and there's there's only a couple of ways to get up this mountain and it could be that that route initially does take you lower below sea level for a little while but you're still further on the route you couldn't have gone some other way so i love that and i'm, I'm just trying to think of like what's an example that sort of illustrates viscerally what, what all of you have been describing and it's i thought of the analogy of going over little speed bumps on a bicycle so thinking about Sen Ken asking, could God not show us signs of presence when we're in these hard times? And if it was up to me, yeah, God would do just that. And God would swoop down and like comfort us and we'd be happy. I don't like that. But what has helped me cope with those times is having some kind of understanding of why it has to be like this. So as I understand it, every hard, lonely, miserable state that we're in the only reason we're allowed to be in there is because that particular state will accomplish something good for us. That's the only time God, otherwise God would show us as much presence as possible. So I think about going over the speed bump. So um, I have a little daughter who's five and she's a little scared to ride over a speed bump on her bike. And so when she's going close to it, she will sometimes say, help me to me, right? Help, help me go over it. So I could, and then she would get over it, but then we would never accomplish her getting that self-confidence and realizing, oh, it, it's actually not hard to go over that. It just seems like it's hard. So even though when she's going toward it and she's nervous and I'm kind of, hopefully I'm doing the right thing as a parent, but I'm kind of egging her out like, no, just go, just go. Then because she had to go through that alone and then it works, um, that does something for her. So amplify that somehow on a grand scale. Maybe God is doing that with us. Yeah, Chelsea. Just, you reminded me, we're, we're calling, invoking a lot of a, uh... Dr. Jonathan Rose in this episode, but because um, a famous in my mind sermon that he once gave is he gave the analogy, and this is how powerful these kind of analogies can be, where it's like if you are uh, blindfolded in a car and you're being taken somewhere, so like you want to get to your destination, but you're going to be blindfolded the whole way and you're not driving, you're just a passenger in the car, you're going to be, when you're driving along a bumpy road it feels bad and you don't know what's going on and you're being bounced around all crazy in the back of the car and then it gets to a red light so the car stops and you're like whoo I feel good now you know things are good and then and then it goes again and it starts bumping around and you feel all you know scared anyway that's that's like our perspective can think that when it's bumpy we think that's bad and wrong or you know we feel scared and alone but that's actually us getting closer to the to the destination uh Versus then those pauses, which, you know, maybe feel great, but aren't kind of like the the generative thing that's really bringing us further along. Right. Yeah. Just, just leave me at the red light. I'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> so I was all hyping up the photo finish and how there's going to be tense down the stretch. But like right even a little while ago, Sunil, Samuel gave and actually made it so our total went up to 212 exactly. So we did it. And then since then... Sean gave, so now we're way, we're up at 232. It's a landslide, we made it. Thank you everyone. We will be doing an extra 15 minutes of Q and A and couldn't think of anything more fun to do. John's journey asks, is the rapture to the new earth going to happen? That's a big concept, it's out there. Does Swedenborg offer some insight on that? And I know that the answer is yes, but what, what, what is that answer, Karin? Um, so I assume that means uh, the idea that uh, Jesus is going to come back 
physically and transform uh, Earth into a into a new Earth, and there's going to be a new heaven. Um, so uh, Swedenborg learned that this is not something that kind of language in the Bible is not something that's going to happen literally and physically. That there is not going to be a sudden transformation. There's not going to be a physical or a you know a literal. Jesus coming in the clouds and um, all these things that happen. And then earth is transformed, um, you know, quickly into uh, a new, a new state. Um, the new heaven and the new earth um, really mean um, a new inner and outer self for each person. See, there's a, where the Bible talks both about our individual spiritual journey and then the journey of humanity as a whole. And in our individual journey, a new heaven and a new earth means when we have opened up to God, been spiritually reborn, regenerated, gone on this journey where we've opened up to God. And now there is a new heaven in us, which means our inner self, our higher self is in is in divine order, is accepting love of God and love of the neighbor. And that then goes down into our outer life, which is our earth and transforms our outer life. Now we are acting on that. Um, love of God, love of the neighbor in our daily life. So that is one thing that the Bible is talking about when um, that's happening. Uh, the rapture part of it, we've talked about in a couple of shows um, that has to do with um, uh, certain ideas. So the, you know, some are taken, some are not, that has to do with ideas in our mind. Like some are going to be revealed to us to be in alignment with heavenly uh, heavenly love and some are not. Um, so that's the idea there. But also uh, Swedenborg saw these things playing out in the spiritual world, that there was a big cataclysmic shift in the spiritual world. Jesus actually did appear in the clouds, like people could see him in the spiritual world. There were these earthquakes and, there, and, and people that had been stuck in lower realms, but were good people in the spiritual world were lifted up and had safe passage to heaven. So all that uh, very dramatic imagery did happen in the spiritual world, but it's not gonna happen that way on earth. What's happening on earth is a gradual transformation of heaven coming to earth through one person at a time. So as each one of us does our inner spiritual work and opens up more to God in heaven and lets that flow through us into action, um, there's a little more heaven coming to earth. So earth is becoming a little more heavenly. And so that's how what Swedenborg learned is going to be the gradual transformation of earth. Awesome. So like, uh, yes and no, and yes and no. The, it, it, it didn't, it's not gonna happen literally, but it did happen literally-ish in the spiritual world. So that's, that's a, I love it. The, so split Swedenborg answer. Hey, uh, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Andrew gave, we're now up to 332. Wow, thank so you. This is the absolute opposite of a tense finish for us. Thank you so much, Andrew, and everyone who's contributed. Chelsea, what do you, what do you think? Um, yeah, just that, that spin on the question of is the rapture to the new earth going to happen is that it has already happened. It's been happening and it's happening right now to a lot of people, you know, cause it is that personal 
spiritual life that Karin was talking about, which I find so helpful because then I feel like I can read those chapters in the Bible and get some spiritual nutrition, speaking of spiritual fruit, food, like some spiritual nutrition out of them for my own day-to-day life. Cause then it's not about something happening in time far away from now. It really just applies to, you know, cause I was just sort of reviewing the verses and it's talking about like, well, you don't know when it's going to happen, but sort of the context, the context of not knowing when it's going to happen is like, don't use that as just an excuse to like, just go get involved in doing evil things. Like, so it's just like, there's, it all relates to uh, how we're living now and that whole process of shunning evils. And then the, the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven is what we were talking about earlier about how truth comes alive from love. When we read the word that that is Swedenborg says the coming of the son of man in the clouds of heaven is that connection to the spiritual truth that's in the word um, uh, you know, when we're connecting to the reality of how that applies to us and how we can love mm-hmm. others. And so, uh, that coming, there's sort of a sense of humility about it in terms of, you know, knowing we're on this spiritual journey and the Lord is guiding it. And we have that, we're going to go through these different phases, but so anyway, I feel like it all kind of makes more sense when I think about it that way than thinking about it in literal terms. That's right. That's, that's so helpful to, to add in that really focus on that personal element. It makes me think of this state that, that John's journey is describing where we're saying is the, is the rapture to the new earth going to happen? If we think that there's a new earth in us and yes, we are, we are waiting for that to happen, but we're always going to be waiting for that to happen because we get raptured, raptured up a level. So God brings us to the next level of love and wisdom there's still that next level on the horizon. I think about the, that quote in Swedenborg that we all love that says each, each phase is just, we're just in the egg of the phase to come. That it, There's always that on the horizon. Love and wisdom has no end. So it's always going to be like, yeah, someday we're in an exciting way. We're going to be going up. It's going to happen. I don't know. We're waiting. So maybe that, that repeats and repeats. Karen. Just want to recommend a number of videos that you can watch on this topic. End Times in Jesus Christ, Swedenborg in Life. The Last Judgment, Swedenborg in Life. A short clip Chelsea did called the meek, the meek will inherit the earth, or it's from one of our questions show. Um, a, clip, a question show that just type in rapture Swedenborg. And there's, a, I, I did one segment describing this scene in the spiritual world. And I feel like, and then just revelation Swedenborg and you'll find all our revelation episodes. Yeah. See, we, we've got you taken care of. <laughs> hey, it's just that this next question will probably take us into bonus time. So I just want to say thanks to everyone who's made it possible today. Uh, much appreciated. And let's get dark. Let's get dark for this. Lauren Lelko asks, did Swedenborg experience the dark night of the soul? Yeah, let's talk about it. Did, was he exempt? Because, you know, God's like, well, you're going to do me a favor writing these books, so I won't need to do that. And this ties right into San Ken. Well, Swedenborg, surely he was plugged in, so he didn't, God could just tell him, I'm here, I'm here. What happened, though? Kara, what's, what, what's the account? Well, I'll answer your question by saying something else. <laughs> Politics. What a po- politician. What's the account? First, I just want to say... Um, the first thing that came to mind was our show called 
10 signs, 10 early signs of a spiritual awakening or something like that. Yeah. Which describes Swedenborg's process of, um, you know, when he was first getting this call and, and how he, his attention was being get, gotten by all these experiences he was having. And that show is pretty amazing. And it sounds like there were some dark nights of the soul in there. Um, the, the other thing that I'm thinking of is just in his personal life, I believe that he was in love with somebody and wasn't and couldn't marry her for some reason. Isn't that true in his personal life? To me, that sounds like a dark night of the soul. Yeah. <laughs> so those are my two quick kickoff things. Excellent. So yeah, we've got some darkness there. Let's let's keep it rolling. Uh, Karen, uh, what what about you? Yeah, he definitely did because um, it, it seems to me that just sort of the broad view is he was a very accomplished um, and well-respected scientist. Had a you know an ability to study things and master them and and uh, write about them and and then as he was searching for the seat of the soul and he was studying anatomy, he was just not finding it. And, um, and then he went into this, uh, yeah, he, he went into this intense period uh, where he was doing a lot of self-examination through his dreams and in his dreams and paying attention and, and looking within himself, he was seeing a lot of darkness, a lot of pride, a lot of negativity. And, um, he was starting to feel confused. You know, he had been so confident before <laughs> he was uh, confused and uh, there were definitely times of despair. And I think if you read in his early spiritual diary, there are times of just really dark despair, um, just begging God to forgive him for things. And uh, so I think, yes, he, he went through some intense uh, dark times and, uh, in this transition, particularly from his old life to his new life. So I would say yes. <laughs> yeah, and I I think something that is just remarkable is uh, that we have his unpublished spiritual experiences or spiritual diary. Like that was his personal thing that he, and even before that, his dream diary, and uh, at least of spiritual experiences, we know that he, had intended sometimes he'll make notes to himself like don't include this or do include this or whatever when he because he's sort of thinking he kind of uses it as like he knows he's going to be writing these books later that he might want to talk about certain things but um in a lot of ways it's just this record amazing personal record of his personal experiences uh that i think is fairly unique like i'm not sure how common people would keep journals and stuff, but I don't know if they quite did the kind of deep psychological dive like Swedenborg did. That, that was kind of, um, yeah, unique for mid 1700s. Um, and uh, so just to say, it's just pretty amazing that we can have that window into what a remarkable transformation he had uh, and, and that kind of personal reckoning um, that we talk about this in the podcast, the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast, because we'll use his spiritual experiences to get a kind of timeline of what his uh, personal life was like around this spiritual awakening. And um, and it is just amazing to get a, an appreciation for 
when he says in his theological works, this happens or this happens, you know, you, the, you know, the Lord feels when we're going through our deepest despair, it can seem like the Lord isn't present, but the Lord's more fully present than at any other time, which relates to one of our earlier questions. It's like, he's maybe saying that as like a theological principle, but then you hold that in context with what he's written about in his spiritual experiences. And like, he's writing that from very personal experience, you know, and he knows uh, he's, he's lived it. Um, and if we didn't have that, it would be, you know, it might just be a different way that we relate to his, his work. So I just love that sort of personal thing that it brings. Absolutely. And if, if, if anyone out there is interested in this, the journal of dreams, I, I feel like that's like Chelsea was saying, dark night of the soul. You get the, his, his journey there and his own words. Cool. Thank you, Lauren. Let's, oh, so now it is like officially we're going into bonus time. I maybe have jumped, jumped the gun in the tiniest sense. <laughs> Young at heart asks, my relative lived in an old house when one night two internal doors locked themselves spontaneously. The keys had been lost many years before. What does Swedenborg say about poltergeist, poltergeist activity? What do we got here? We got, can, is there such a thing as ghosts? And can they do stuff? Uh, Karin, yeah. Kara, you go ahead. Kara. Hey, I know I have my eye on the chat, which we don't see when we're here, but um, Young at Heart says he has seen the episode on ghosts, but he feels like ghosts are different than poltergeists. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, Young at Heart, what, what's the difference? What, well, what's the difference? Oh, yeah, go ahead. To, so somebody say something. <laughs> just, <laughs> just that I found the Netflix series Surviving Death really fascinating for its exploration of sort of poltergeist experiences. Now, take it away, Karin. <laughs> I think poltergeist is related to children, like, right? Uh, ghosts that seem to appear uh, where, when there's children around or something. Anyway, somebody tell us in the chat. What's yes, I thought, I, I think of it as being that, uh, maybe I'm misusing the term, but like when a spirit makes something physically happen, shakes shakes the door, turns the lights on and off, oh. uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, yes, but Wikipedia in ghost lore, a poltergeist is a type of ghost or spirit that is responsible for physical disturbance. Yeah. Right, right. Well, we, we did address that as much as we can um, in our ghosts, do ghosts exist? And um, it's uh, because we were quoting some times where Swedenborg was aware that spirits were making the papers on his desk move and the candle flame flame flicker and he was feeling physical feelings coming from uh, the ghosts um, or the spirits the spirits so I don't see them that as different um, but what I think we were learning as we researched that show do ghosts exist is that there are uh, levels, there's levels of existence. There's so many levels of existence. And there's, you know, on one hand, like physical world, world of spirits, heaven, but on the world of spirits level, there's a lot of levels. And some levels of spirits in the world of spirits in the afterlife are very close to the physical, like, 
like Swedenborg called some the uh, the spirits of bodily cravings or this and like are so close to the physical. These are these would be people who died who are so kind of addicted <laughs> to physical life that they they don't want to let it go, and um, so it seems to me that it's all spirits. It's all people who had lived in the world and have died. Um, but there are, are some that spend a while really close to the physical plane because they are having a hard time letting go of it. And as we said in the show, um, I, you know, I don't believe that it's ever people are stuck there permanently. You know, it's, it's just, they're there for a while and, the whole time God and the angels would be trying to coax them to let go of that obsession with uh, physical life and, and physical <laughs> sensation and this, because there's, there's spiritual sensation and there's spiritual pleasure and this, it's so much better, but there, um, you know, how we human beings can hang on to things <laughs> and not want to let go because that's what's familiar. And, uh, but this is not your everyday person who's, who enjoys, uh, you know, enjoys life in this world and, and physical pleasure is it's, it's a pretty extreme state of being, I would say. And uh, so I do think it's, uh, it's spirits it's people who used to live in the world, but that are uh, because of their focus are on a very low level, very close to the uh, physical and are yeah able to affect it. So Chelsea, did you have some thoughts? Um, just was thinking about how I guess and maybe it is my memory from watching that series on Netflix, but knowing that uh, the, I think there are some instances where there are ghosts or whatever seem to be able to impact physical world objects, but they're not necessarily that type that are only bodily craving, you know, obsessed. It seems like there's ways that a perfectly good spirit I don't know what I mean even still maybe a spirit and not like an angel or something but like a a good spirit that has even good intentions can be somehow having through providence that oper that ability or something to be able to impact physical world um objects so I think there's some work around there I don't know like it's hard to answer his question because he's saying what does Swedenborg say about it and it's like well we can just sort of pull together these pieces because uh, you know, Swedenborg does have, I, I love that example that we cover in that show where like there's a hammer being hit and like a spirit is somehow, there's a word that's being communicated with each strike of the hammer. And it's just interesting how, how sort of that kind of communication happens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. You pointed that out because I, I think I associate the word, word poltergeist I didn't even know exactly what it meant, but with negative, like with troublemaking, with with spirits that are making trouble. Right. And so therefore that was making sense to me. But you're right, there's many ways. And I do think that, uh, I, I do think there is this science that um, higher spirits need to work through a, a particular network to affect something on this on mm. the level. But mm. you're right, Chelsea, there would be a way if that was, if there was use in it for a good spirit or even an angel to, something down through the network of spirits that are closer to this level and, and affect something in a positive way. So thank you for pointing out that side of it. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks. And thanks, Young at Heart, for 
bringing that up and inviting us to dig even deeper. I think we're going to get at least one more in here. So this is a callback to a question we had before. Deborah Mercer asks, can the dark night of the soul happen more than once in a lifetime? Or do we get it? And then, okay, it's chicken pox. You're done with it. All those shingles. Okay. So what do we think? Can, can, can you do it again? Um, Karin, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Life is a, 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 a series of cycles and they're different for everybody. Um, and some people might seem on the outside to go through more of the down ones than others. Um, but everybody in some way in this world or the next will go through a series of hard times and, and intense hard times. And so that'll play out differently for everybody. So some, in some places, Swedenborg indicates people who maybe have an easier time in this world might have some more intense experiences in the next because they, there's stuff they need to process through and some go through more of those hard things in this life. Um, but yeah, I would say there's, there's not one dark night of the soul that cures it all because we it's a, it's a process and it's such a long process. And we, we need to um, cycle around many times. And like Curtis was saying, it's, it's actually always going upward, whether we realize it or not. Um, but we have those spirals downward multiple times. So I'd say, yeah, you can have uh, many dark nights of the soul <laughs> to go through. Yeah. And no, one way that, you know, the word that Swedenborg uses a lot is, uh, despair the reaching the point of despair that that's like when you get an appreciation for what that what our spiritual growth cycles are like and that they're always happening and that we go through these changes of state in a very like the lord is very careful in guiding how those changes of state happen um that uh you know yeah we we resist it because who wants it but that that sort of critical despair point is that uh is a turning point that leads to the dawn, you know, the darkness before dawn. So that it is interesting that I feel like there's this, um, you know, even that terminology of the dark night of the soul. That's just another way that I like the context that Swedenborg's, like the world that you get through Swedenborg's works gives you is that it's like, oh yeah, it's not like there's just one. There's just, this is the nature of spiritual growth. And these are how these cycles happen. And, um, and so it's not kind of the, a one and done sort of a thing, just like what Karen was saying. Kind of like the last judgment and Swedenborg has this almost hilarious or take that, yeah, there's a last judgment. There's a lot of last judgments that, <laughs> that it's not the last judgment of all judgments, but it's, you know, it's like the end of, or the last quarter in a basketball game, they don't call it that. They call it the fourth quarter. What, what, when the last, the last scene, is it the last scene of this movie? Yes. But I mean, there's a, there's a sequel. There's another movie. It, so with us, if we're, if we're a microcosm, yeah, you've got this, you got the dark night of the soul, but it's part of this process that's ongoing. And I think that once we get to a space where we can fully appreciate what a cycle like that does for us, like how, how it moves us along the path to regeneration and everything. I think once you're all recovered and everything, if somebody put 
the prospect of, okay, we've got to go through another dark night of the soul. Eventually we get to a point where we're like, yeah, of course, let's do it. Because the treasure that you bring back from that is, is worth it. I don't think you, maybe not in this life you get there, but, but the idea of, yeah, like this is, of course I'd want to go through that because the net gain is, is there. Yeah. Chelsea. Well, segueing to announcing the podcast that's going to come out on Sunday. Um, right. You can supply the title, but in it, we talk about uh, the time when Swedenborg was dying, the last few months of his life, um, because the anniversary of his death is coming up on March 29th. And uh, and he seems to have gone through a sort of final dark night of the soul, you could say, just right near the very end. And so, uh, but uh, anyway, so yeah, that's something that you could hear about in the podcast. The podcast is that it's coming out on Sunday and the title is the spiritual food we eat and the week that Swedenborg died. So, so yeah, I, I, I was supposed to mention that earlier in the show, but I totally forgot, but, but better now than never. And that is, yeah, you want to hear that, that there's work being done right up to the end there. So that's great. Hey, we are getting right close to the very end here. Um, and I want to take a second before we sign off to talk about what's coming up next, because we have an announcement about where we're going to be doing something new with our scheduling. So if you've been with our channel for a year or more, you might remember that we used to post one new episode every Monday evening at 8 p.m. U.S. East Coast time. After trying something different for a while this year, right now you're watching us at a different time, we're going to go back to that original rhythm because it seemed to be the most effective for getting our videos to spread widely and get, and get the views and accomplish the mission of the Swedenborg Foundation. So we are launching a new schedule uh, in April. Starting on April 5th, we'll be releasing new content on our channel like we used to Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So every Monday, and this we won't be having development weeks anymore. We will get you every week. We will get you a piece of content. Every Monday you can see either it's a new Chasing Swedenborg, uh, new news from heaven, or some kind of uh, unique content, surprise content there. And the last Monday of every month will be our live show, fun extravaganza panel. And we'll actually have this show, Swedenborg Live, will be upgraded. We'll have new segments on it. Uh, so we're excited to debut some of that stuff to you. The, the podcast is actually going to be more frequent now. You'll be getting every Sunday, you'll be getting content with no break weeks in there. So we're looking forward to continuing to spiritually grow with all of you. So thank you for working with us as we go here. So next week is our development week. So we won't be posting content, but then after that, we'll be starting this new rhythm, this new cycle. And there's some new projects in the works that we're just getting ready to announce soon. Uh, a little, a little non-sneak preview is it's a way to really systematically learn and go through and build your knowledge of what all this Swedenborg stuff is about. More on that very soon. Uh, and just thank you everyone for, for being on this journey with us. Thanks to everybody who donated today. Uh, and, and to help support our programming. And thanks to the panel. Really, really great to get to hear from, from all of you. Yeah, thank you everybody for being here. It's such a delight and wishing you a wonderful week ahead. Happy Easter, happy spring, happy constant renewal. <laughs> nice, yeah, thank you so much. It's so fun to get to be here and uh, learn from all of you. Uh, oh, and Cara Dom is muted. Uh, you did.
<laughs> it's a rich way to spend a Friday afternoon. Thanks so much to everybody for being here. Yep. And again, I want to thank our, the people who contributed. We raised $332 from eight donors. So thank you so much wow. to everybody who, who made that possible. If you're watching this after the fact, you can still help out our mission. Go to youtube.com slash off the left eye. No, go to off the left eye.com slash donate, then whatever else. Uh, and you can contribute to what we're doing, enter yourself into the raffle, and you know that you made this happen for the next person. Thanks everybody for watching. That was genuinely fun to get to dip into the topics that were on your mind and can't wait to do it again in our new format soon. We'll see you then.